Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dutiful Future again. With me, I have the fantastic Adam Kokesh. Uh, Adam, you are a, a, a full patriot, a libertarian, uh, anarcho-capitalist, I think is probably reasonable. You have a, an amazing YouTube channel, which I'd encourage everyone to check out. You have a book, which the link will be in the description for. There's a million other things, and all I want to say is, Adam, hello. Hey, well, thank you, Hugh. Uh, now, I, wow, the, the great introduction, although I, I do... Uh, you know, I, there's, there's so many big terms in there, and you know, as, as a libertarian, I'm, an, I'm not, I'm not a grammar Nazi, but I'm a <laughs> definition Nazi if there ever was one. No. So, like, patriot. I mean, I'll, I, if you don't mind, you, we can start with 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 their two big words in in that introduction that that I'd like to address. One, uh, patriotism, and and the other, anarcho-capitalism. And and first, as as a, as a patriot, you know that I, I get to talk about my book now without uh, since I'm not running for president at the moment, and and then people don't say, oh, you're just running for president to sell books, and then I have to go, well, my book is free, so that doesn't really work, you know. But okay, sure, I'm I'm running for president, so I can give away more free books. Yes, this is this is true. Um, so the, I actually have a section in here called patriotism. And it, it basically discredits the very concept of patriotism as a notion that is attached to a government identity, right? Because patriotism, you know, love of country, you know, I think any definition of patriotism would include love of, of something, country, heritage, people, nation, possibly by some definitions. And I think that's the problem. Right. And so I retort, I don't use the term patriot, uh, you know, very often, you know, in, in, a, in an active sense, because I think it's a various, it's a very, very dangerous, distorted term that's used to create obedience, subservience, you know, and just if, if you define patriot even as love of country, and you define country as the government borders around the area where you live. What you are doing is perverting what could be a very righteous, beautiful kind of love and saying, well, I'm going to let my love be defined by my government. I'm going to love people more because they were born on my side of the government line than on the other side of the government line. You go, mm. <laughs> that, yeah, and you see where we're, you know, and, and, and so, you know, a lot of semantics around this. People say, well, that's nationalism, not patriotism. Okay, so if you want to use patriotism in a way to identify with something, you know, deeper than, you know, my nation state, then, yeah, it can, it can be righteous, you know, and in a sense, uh, I, I'm a patriot for what it means to be American, of standing up to unjust authority, of, of King George III and saying, screw you, we're not going to be a part of your empire anymore, we will be free, and if we have to fight for it, we'll fight for it, you know. Uh, I think we don't have to anymore, we're lucky to live in this day and age. If America means that, as opposed to, I love people born within these borders, then, yeah, absolutely. I'm not just a patriot. I'm an imperialist. You know, I'm not just an American patriot. I want the ideas, the ideal of America, because by that definition, what it means to be American is really integral to the human soul and the whole dance forward for the entire global human family. It's funny because with American imperialism as we know it through the military instead of sending out the best of what it means to be american we send out the most evil perverted thing that grew off of it in the military industrial complex and we spread anti-americanism and i shouldn't say we i can say we because i was there you know so i i like to quote being in terms of being a definition nazi i like to quote the dalai lama who allegedly was asked uh, what would you do? What's the first thing you would do if you were president? And he said, I would start calling things by their proper names. And to me, that means acknowledging taxation is theft. War is murder. Police are thugs. Politicians are criminals. And government is a racket. And just being able to use honest language to describe reality is so key to resisting 
all of the ideological, emotional propaganda manipulations of those who would exploit us with the state. Now, the other one, anarcho-capitalism, I'm trying to make this real quick. I, I, I have identified as an anarcho-capitalist in the past, and it was Murray Rothbard's book, Ethics of Liberty, that, that really woke me up. Uh, but what he's describing is voluntarism, and that really is the core ethical philosophy, standard of morality, that unites us as libertarians, as, as people who recognize freedom is not the, the uh, you know, just some substance or, or random idea, but it is the product of a society that adheres to a moral code that respects self-ownership as opposed to one that allows exploitation or slavery of some kind. And what Murray Rothbard did and I give him absolute credit for being the intellectual godfather of modern libertarianism, but probably the worst brand developer for it. With the term anarcho-capitalism, it's like he was thinking about this beautiful ethical idea to serve humanity and make everything better. And then he saw, he was like, you know what, how can I take the two most offensive words possible <laughs> to describe what I'm talking about and combine them into one term guaranteed to piss everybody off? Oh, yeah, anarcho-capitalism. And, and what he's described, like, it is neither anarchy or capitalism. The, these, like, so anarchy, a state of, of no organized, coercive government, you know, you might say that's voluntarism, fine. Um, but it's not a state, it's not no order, no government. The way people understand it as, as no organizational government, uh, you know, uh, that's not accurate. As a voluntarist, even under Rothbard's ethics, you can have voluntary government, you can have community government, you can have voluntary hierarchies and leadership and organization as long as it's not forced on anybody, right? And capitalism an economic system based on ownership of the means of production. That's great because we want to respect self-ownership. The ultimate means of production is the individual human being. But as we, you know, as people want to create different systems, if they're doing it ethically, we might be tempted to say, well, you're having a socialist community, but since you're being nonviolent about it, that's technically capitalism because yeah, that's a silly game to play. You know, let's really get in touch with the ethics that we're, advocating here that unite all of humanity and say, look, you can have whatever economic system you want as long as it's ethical, as long as it respects that right to self-ownership of, of the individual and all relationships in that structure, organization, or community are ethical and voluntary. So there. You got, you got enough to, to kick things off with Fantastic. you? Fantastic. So that pretty much <laughs> at least lightly brushed on every question that I have um so we've got a lot to go into you've nailed it already um so first of all I think... <laughs> <laughs> first the first the question i'm going to go with is so libertarianism is obviously all about freedom that's one of the things that gets talked about so much um and what i would like to do is is as an example where you brought up there where it is voluntarism so the idea that like as long as there's no coercion then someone would be free so what i have here i have two general um conceptions of what it is of, of freedom and i would like to ask you which one do you think um fits fits your beliefs better so there's what would be called like a hobbesian conception which is uh negative yeah it is negative freedom so it's it's free it's freedom is motion so you're free so long as you're not being stopped to do the things that you want to do and then there's a wollstonecraft conception of freedom or a republican conception of freedom which is freedom from domination so you're only free if someone doesn't have an arbitrary amount of power over you so would you consider someone to be more free in terms of they can do what they want or someone to be more free when they don't have a arbitrary power over them, even if that arbitrary power uh, is not necessarily impeding what they want to do? I might be missing something in your question, but I don't see an important distinction between the two types of freedom here, because if you say you have... You know, oh, freedom, freedom to do what you want to do. If, you, if you're going into positive rights, like, you know, do you have do, do I have the freedom to, you know, get on an airplane and fly it across the ocean? Yeah, but I don't have the freedom to steal that airplane from someone else. I still have to, you know, acquire it ethically and legitimately. And if you say, well, it's it's freedom to just exercise your rights. You know, in, in, in if it's you said negative, did you say negative or did you change negative your, freedom? Yeah. You're saying there, yeah, negative, negative and so, Republican. 
Right. Okay. So, because uh, normally that question is asked as, or there's a different version of that question, a similar believe- question that gets asked a lot. Do you believe in negative rights or positive rights? Right. So in a sense, both of what you described were in the category there of, of negative rights. And I, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't differentiate them. Freedom, as I define it in the book, is what you have when no one is forcing their will on you in any way. A lot of people confuse this with reality is forcing its will. Like, you know, you have to work if you want to eat. Well, yeah, at very least you have to chew your food. You know, like that's, that's just part of the reality of, of physical existence as a carbon-based life form, you know, uh, or, or that, that you need natural resources. Well, yeah, that's, that's your body. Your body's not forcing it on you. And so there's, there's a really disgusting twist in the language, not in your question, but in the way that question is, is sometimes asked when people say, well, there are positive rights. Like I have a right to healthcare, or I have a right to infrastructure or to food or to roads or, or, or things like that. And what that's doing is creating justification for the state to steal from individuals to provide those things as a right inherent to your humanity. You don't have any right that requires you to take something from someone else. And it's, it's a very easily dispelled rhetorical trick often used by the left to say, look, you have a right to healthcare. You have a right to these things as, as, as positive rights. So this idea of positive rights is abused by statists. You know, I, I talk about the American Socialist Party, which has two wings, the Republicans and the Democrats. By any honest definition of socialism, they're both socialists. But the, the left in particular Uh, however you want to define it, uses this idea of positive rights as an excuse to steal from the state. I have a right to health care. Therefore, it's okay if if you don't pay for my health care, you're denying me my right. Therefore, it's okay for me to use the government to steal from you to provide for my health care. You put it in those terms, you go, oh, well, of course, it's ridiculous. But just if that doesn't make it clear enough, if I say, well, I have a right to sex. If you don't have sex with me, you're denying my right to sex. Therefore, it's okay to rape you. You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, how did you justify rape? Well, we justify theft in the form of taxation through government many different ways, the idea of satisfying these positive rights and identifying anybody who disagrees with them as being being a negative Nancy in some way, you know, it's this dangerous framing that, you know, if you just get down to the core ethics, you go, oh, all this rhetoric is just used to excuse unethical behavior by the state. So to to apply my my question to a specific example, it often gets used. In, I think I think slavery is often the the easiest example to use when talking about freedoms. And um, if you were to take the view that freedom is being able to do stuff, like the, the Hobbes one, like I brought up earlier, it would be that um, a slave with um, a master who let them do whatever they want. Really, they were you know they didn't they didn't really get in the way, but they could intervene. They would still be free because they can still do mostly what they want. But under a Republican conception or or Wollstonecraft conception, they wouldn't be because there is still this arbitrary force of power over them. And I think it's an important distinction, actually, because um, so to apply it to when you bring up, you know, I would, you know, your political project can boil down to certain over basically reducing as many non-consensual relationships as possible to basically to reach zero. Um, And you also put up there where it is about direct or I guess you'd say like natural coercion in this sense. So um, I think this was brought up in your in your debate with Vosh quite a lot, which was the question of if I have to do something, um, otherwise I'll starve. Am I still free in taking this action? So the Hobbes conception would be that let's say I'm in a boat with a guy and there's a lot of sharks and stuff that are going to eat me and he has a gun to my head and he says, right, jump out of the boat or I'm going to shoot you. Hobbes would say that your decision to jump out that boat is still a free choice, despite that sort of coercion. Or even if it was a, I've got to jump out the boat to try and swim to shore, but I might die. There's still this, 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 this coercion doesn't prevent you being free because you are still making choices. Um, However, in the case of the Republican one, if someone has a gun to my head, obviously that is an arbitrary force of power or the arbitrary force of power can be a, not a, I guess, direct one. So that could be um, what people would often describe capitalism as in terms of needing to, to, you know, 
work for someone in order to survive. Um, and well, I, I guess the, the natural question from this is, do you think that there is um, a, do you think that coercion is a factor when it is not a direct someone doing it to someone else? So do you think that there, there is a possibility for coercion, which isn't a gun to someone's head, but it is a broader institutional thing rather than a like, than a specific relationship between two people? It's just how you want to apply the word. You know, do you want to apply it to include more circumstantial things? The way that I use the term coercion is very specific in human relations. So, you know, like if, if I say, you know, well, it's raining, so I was forced to stay inside. You know, yeah, it's, it, am I being coerced by the ra- Like, it doesn't matter. You know, if it's not in the realm of an individual human action, I mean, that's the the purpose of this analysis of, of looking towards these principles is to make life better, to live better. Right. The unexamined life is, is not worth living. So what we're examining here in order to live better is human social organization and ethics and morals so that we can have better relationships with our fellow human beings. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, if you want to call it that, you know, you want, to, you want to open the conversation up and use the word in a different realm. But I'm going to say, look, no, I'm talking about this realm of human relations. My goal as a human being, as an activist, I, am, I define activist, you know, another great, you know, very broad word. <laughs> You're an activist doing independent media, right? You know, that that an activist is someone who is motivated by a deep-seated sense of injustice, uh, the the potential for things to be better. I see problems with the world that I want to fix. I want to look at what can I do to have the most impact to improve human quality of life, to apply my intellect to serve humanity. And, And what I've discovered in libertarianism is this ethical concept, this foundation based on self-ownership, rejection of slavery, rejection of coercion or, or fraud or, or depriving people of their rights. And I look at the world and go, wow, yeah, if we just adhere to this one idea, like, look how much better things would be. And I'm, I'm sort of, I sort of limit my use of these terms to applications that serve that. So, yeah, coercion has to be in the, the way that I'm using it, you know, really an individual threatening another person with violence. So I think that one way, I think a great way to sort of ground the, the concepts that we're talking about is to, is to you know, bring up an example. And I'm desperate to ask, what are your opinions on Chaz? Uh, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, i.e. the group of protesters who have, uh, have a self-declared autonomous zone. And when you're reading yes. about this, it, it, it gave me some, it almost reminded me of, you know, your Garden of Freedom, which if you could explain as well, would yes. be amazing. Yes. Yes. Um, so what is the Garden of Freedom and what do you think of Chaz? Yeah, well, starting with Chaz Chop, because yeah, I, I got to say, name change, midstream, <laughs> bad idea. Autonomous zone has so much more power to it than organized protest. With that, what the heck is an organized protest? I know what an autonomous zone is. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I get the, no, okay. But no, the, 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 so I had a great debate about this with Jeff Deist of the Mises Institute. And what he was looking at is the, the what, what, what I would describe in his article as the blocking as in Walter Block and the uh, Hoppe, uh, Hoppian as in Hans Hermann Hoppe criteria for what constitutes you know, a righteous declaration of sovereignty. And I think, I think he was wrong in his interpretation there. Jeff Deist and I, who both have nearly identical you know, ethical analyses of, of politics, you know, we fell barely on opposite sides of this thing. Where he's against it, but he's still very, he's talking about all these things that he's for about it. And like where I'm, I'm for it, you know, barely for it. And you have to say, but I'm not for all of these terrible things going on with it. And I'm not, I'm not, if you notice, I'm not going, well, there was a shooting there. Therefore it's all invalid. I made, after I saw that news, I made a great meme, George Washington crossing the Delaware. And it says, Oh, uh oh, someone got shot. Please, uh, I'll just go tell King George we don't want to be independent anymore. And it's like, no, there were a hundred shootings in Chicago last weekend. You know, it, 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 the, the assault by the right uh, on Chaz Shop for like just totally 
disingenuous, cherry picking, logical fallacy grounds. Well, you know, this is representative of the whole nonsense. It's, it's, it's silly. But there are bigger problems with it, right? And I am 100% in favor of a group of citizens claiming a part of a city that's public property that they have a claim to as taxpayers or that at least has been stolen from someone by government and is essentially you know unclaimed land there and saying you know we are claiming this we are declaring it autonomous we don't want to be a part of the united states anymore in fact there's nothing more american than declaring your independence from an empire I'm pretty sure that's how we got here. So, you know, in that sense, I'm very excited about it. I'm absolutely for it. Now, obviously, I have ideological differences. And if I may reference one of my campaign talking points about localization and why I think localization is the way forward for humanity, decentralization, community-based government, which means it's voluntary. A community is something you choose to be a part of and you can opt out of and communities can organize whatever they want. Uh, you know, and I, I see the Unite the Right rally, you know, Jews will not replace us. And, you know, this is something I'm not just Jewish by ethnicity, like as I took a 23andMe test. Like it's part of my heritage that my grandparents escaped Nazism to come to Canada. And then uh, the... I, so, so when I see that, like it really is viscerally disturbing, but I can still say as an ethical person, if you want an ethno state, I think that's disgusting. I don't want any part of it. I'm, I'm not going to live there. I, I, I would oppose you in every peaceful way possible, but I respect your right to do that. I don't want to be a part of it. And this is the modern equivalent of I may disagree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. I don't agree with the communists and socialists who seem to make up the bulk of the people behind Chaz Chop. But on the flip side of the coin, as I always said in my talking point, if you're a gun-grabbing socialist liberal who wants to live in a nudist commune in the woods, that's great. I'll take my entertainment value from a distance. Thank you very much. But, you know, what? do like that. Fun. Like, I, yeah, all right. I, I I'd probably visit there, but you know, I'd be more likely to visit the the gun grabbing socialist nudist commune than the ethno state. But I'd visit both. I'm a friendly ambassador of, of for all people of different preferences, you know. And so with Chaz Chop, I go like, well, this is this is very exciting that people said you know what, we're kicking the police out of here. We don't need them in our neighborhood. And you know what? Hey, while we're at it, we don't need the rest of the American government. Ha! And they asserted that in some kind of meaningful, functional way, not violently. Already, they're doing a lot better than the American Revolution, as far as I can tell. You know, although I think we can do a lot better. Now, one of the major problems I have with it is that there was private property that wasn't consensually included. Although if you want to take that stance, you know, there were apartment buildings, people home, people's homes, things like that. You say, well, guess what? Then the American Revolution isn't valid either because a third of the colonists were against it and a lot of them owned property. And you said, tough, tough, tough titties. You're not part of the British Empire anymore. You're part of the, you know, our uh, new American independent nation, whatever. Uh, so with what we're doing here, I have a homestead. I am currently coming to you from the No Force One Studios. This is our campaign bus uh, parked at the Garden of Freedom. And I think, I think the formal title is the Independent Propertarian Constitutional Monarchy uh, in Perpetuity, the Bountiful Garden of Freedom, uh, or Gardenia for short, which is nice, right? We just call it Gardenia. That's a lot better. Um, and, 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 and my full title... I mean, I, I have such a wonderful title. I can't even remember the whole thing. It makes me feel I've, I've, I've such, I get such great ego gratification every time someone refers to me properly by my title. Uh, King Adam Charles Kokesh, the first settler of the Garden of Freedom, Bountiful in Perpetuity, and first president of the United Nations of Freedom. His Majesty, I, just something like that. But you, you see where it is. So if you're, if you're familiar with micronations, 
you know what we're doing with this. You've seen uh, the, uh, and I highly recommend, if, if, if nothing else, at least check out the Wikipedia page for the Conch Republic. This is when the Florida Keys declared themselves independent in, in uh, protest against a, a border patrol checkpoint that they set up on the one causeway out to the islands. They're like, you're going to put a border patrol checkpoint between us and the mainland? Well, screw you, then we're going to declare ourselves independent. And they declared war on the United States and they were defeated in a naval battle after surrendering. It's, and it, and it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a way of protesting, right? It was, it was more uh, of a parody. And now it's a, a tourist thing that they do there to say we're the conquer Republic, right? But it worked. It changed what the government was doing. And there are other examples. And you have like a, maybe on the other side of the more serious side of the spectrum of um, uh, Liberland in Europe, where, uh, what, what is it, between, uh, well, what is it, is it Bosnia and Serbia? There's a little sliver of land on the Danube River that they're claiming that they own and is sovereign and the the police of one of these countries is stopping them from going and occupying it and their purpose is to form an independent nation that does just enough to satisfy the international requirements for being a country in order to have as little government in that area as possible so what i'm doing now we we've created this thing called the united nations of freedom and it's, it's it hasn't really launched yet so you're you're getting a sneak preview here today hugh but yeah the united nations of freedom yeah right we're uh we're, we're just like the united nations except that we care about freedom and we will only accept member nations that assert in in, in their own way some consistent ethical articulation of what freedom means in terms of their policy and that they show that they are, are making, if not a perfect, a, at least a good faith effort as a, as a government to live up to that and as a country. So uh, obviously the United States would not qualify for membership. I mean, like if the United States applies for membership with the United Nations of Freedom, we'll work with them, you know, like we'll, we'll help them you know, learn about freedom and, and, you know, some of the ways to apply it and, and, and see if we can help them change some policies. I would love it if, if the United States of America would eventually qualify for member st nation status with the United Nations of Freedom. But as of today, you know, not even close. Uh, so for, for the founding nation uh, of the United Nations of Freedom, we will have Gardenia be declaring its independence formally next Independence Day. So this is a long-term project. So like to, to connect it to Chaz Chop and, and the American Revolution, it's kind of like, well, I think we're doing it right. Uh, I think we're learning, like we're, as opposed to the American Revolution, we're doing it peacefully and with, with complete buy-in of everybody involved. We're not including anybody who doesn't want to be. You know, and unlike uh, Chaz Chop, we're not, you know, again, including private property uh, in, in some kind of, you know, public thing. We're not imposing socialism or communism. We're not doing it spur of them. Although, you know, socialism, communism, you do it voluntarily in your own nation of freedom. I don't have a problem with that. You could still be a member state potentially if you show that your version of socialism or communism is, is legitimately voluntary and respects the ethical concept of, of individual freedom. My, my real problem with, with, with Chaz Chop, I suppose, that I hope to improve upon with our, our process of declaring independence formally for Gardenia is doing it in a uh, much more planned, peaceful, deliberate, and negotiated way with everyone involved as opposed to kind of spur of the moment, out of anger, born in protest. So over the next year, you know, we're gonna be negotiating with local fire departments, which out here are all volunteer anyway. We just had them come help us with a fire uh, last week, actually, kind of, or week before, excuse me. It was a pretty crazy little event out here, um, working with a local sheriff's office and saying, hey, when we, when we declare our independence, uh, you know, we expect you to respect it, we, you know, and, 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 and this is how we want to coordinate around this new international border. And in terms of like dual citizenship, you know, I, I plan on, uh, um, believe it or not, I, I do plan on maintaining dual citizenship with the United States and Gardenia. So, you know, I still have my veteran status and my benefits. And so, you know, I'm going to go talk to the VA and, and make sure like as, 
as a citizen of Gardenia who is claiming dual citizenship with the United States? Does that affect my benefits in any way? You know, things like that. And, and really making sure that we cover all the bases. There's nothing really unexpected about this. And it, it, it's a peaceful, negotiated declaration of sovereignty, creation so, of a new country. What I'd like to do, it, it, I have a forward experiment to present you, which would um, try to investigate some of the, the, the peaceful or coercive natures of of what this is. So um, we've got the Garden of Freedom, right? Imagine, you know, this podcast goes amazing and you say, Hugh, come visit me in the Garden of Freedom. And I go, sure, yes, and I hop on a plane and yes, I fly sir. out, right? And yes. I turn up and I go, I love this so much. I, 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 I with my uh, mass amount of wealth from the Jew Future channel, unmonetized, um, I buy all of the land uh, directly outside and around um, sure. the, the Garden mm -hmm. of Freedom. And then I put up a massive wall and it's like manned by people and there's no gate, right? And then right. one day you come up to the wall and you say, Hugh, why is there a wall here? I need to leave mm -hmm. and do these things, you know? But then I can say, well, I built this wall. I, this, this wall is clearly my property. Um, I, I, you have no right to impede upon my, on, go into my land or impede my wall. Um, and then following that line eventually, um, I imagine it would involve some sort of force for you to say, right, move the wall or let me out in some way um but then could i not reasonably cite the non-aggression principle and say ah you're violating my rights because you don't like that i own own my property in, in this case of where i don't feel like i'm violating any of your ethical beliefs but it would still lead to you know the, the crumbling and the terrible consequences of of yourself and and your area how could you how could you work with an example like this? Could you appeal to the non-aggression principle? No, you could not. And this is a really bad misunderstanding or misapplication of the non-aggression principle in a form of property rights that is a violation of the non-aggression principle, essentially. Because, and, and what you're describing here is, is a very, uh, sort of very statist, uh, you know, abusive concept of land property rights as opposed to, you know, an ethical libertarian one, which says that you as a, as a free independent human being on the surface of this planet, you have a right to equitable access to natural resources. That's really the foundation of, of homesteading and property rights, you know, to say that you claim that land because, you know, you uh, you're a human being and you homesteaded it and you, uh, you said you bought it in your example, right? I, I, but, I built, I but, built the wall. But right, let, but regardless, right, right, but let's assume, right, well, let's assume that the original ownership is, is obviously by homesteading. Someone claimed unclaimed land and said, mm. now this is sure. mine. The maybe they sense. sold to you. Maybe, right, right. Maybe they sold it to you. Maybe you're the original homesteader. It, it really doesn't matter in this yeah. case because it, it, in order for your claim to that property to be legitimate, it has to adhere to the non-aggression principle and to the basic concept behind your claim of progress is you have a right to access. Well, if you have a right to access, then so do I. And it's unethical to use your property, whether it's your fist or a gun or a wall, to deny someone else the access to the right to use their property or to enjoy their equitable share of natural so, resources. Hold, hold on, let me, let me finish with, hold on, let me finish with the, let me finish with just the practical part of this. Because yeah, this is something that most people just have no concept of. I mean, Hugh, have you ever, have you ever actually bought land? Uh, no, I have not. I am, I am 20 years old. <laughs> well, then you're late. Okay, you know, yeah, I was much later. But no, you should, you know, what, what's to say? You ain't a man if you ain't got land. I don't like that sexist perspective. Mm. But no, you're not, you know, like, it, it, no, there no, is something. But what, 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 it's, what it's speaking to, you know, you know, you haven't claimed your natural human birthright to a, a, a piece of this earth. And I, and I think that is, is really essential to realizing the full human experience. And here in Juniper Wood Ranch, which is the, it's, it was originally a 120,000 acre cattle ranch. Uh, it's being parceled out. It's under Yavapai County, which is part of Arizona. And when they make up property parcels here, there are different requirements for different sizes. And on every 40 acre parcel, every 40 acre square, you have a 30 foot setback around the edges. 
which means that you cannot, you own that land up to the edge of your land, but you cannot build anything within that setback of 30 feet that would impede someone being able to get around your land. So if you're claiming land, back to the original principles, if you're claiming land in a way that violates somebody else's right to claim land, it's not legitimate. So if there's some other agreement in some city, in some denser area, but generally speaking, claiming land, if you are using your land in a way that denies other people rights, then your claim is not legitimate. Now, there's that abstract concept that in a free market would happen by consent in a lot of different ways, and it would be something like what we have here in, in Juniper Wood. I don't like that the county government does it this way, or I don't like that the county government is the, I should say, I don't like that the county government is the agency of this, but I generally like the way that they do it. I generally like the policy that in this area for this community, 30 foot easements uh, or 30 foot setbacks and, and a, a concept of easements, uh, you know, that's that that seems to work for people here. Generally, there's there's consent to that standard. So when I built my road, which, by the way, the name, do you know the name of my road? I do not know the name of your road. <laughs> my road. Uh, so wow. yeah, yeah. I, that, that's, you know, like, I, I'm I'm not a libertarian. That's a pretty funny libertarian joke. That, that, that's all right. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I right. respect that. That's pretty good. <laughs> what what has two thumbs and likes to build roads? This guy. That's I know. I'm, I'm going to keep getting worse. We'll get more dad joke as we go along in the sequence here. <laughs> yeah. Right now. So yeah, yeah. The people people say you know who will build the roads. You know you tell. Them. Adam will build the roads. He's got you covered. So, uh, no, I, but I didn't, I didn't go and ask permission from my neighbors. I just shot, you know, a, a surveyed line down what I knew was the edge of their two properties where I have 30 feet, you know, setbacks on each side. I got a 60 foot wide lane. I, you know, I cut down some trees in that area so that there wouldn't be the, you know, uh, accumulation of snow and ice on the road in the shadows. And, you know, I connected it to the main road that is an established easement for everyone in the area. And as it turns out, there's other access to all of the lots around me and behind me. So hypothetically, I could close off my easements without denying anybody access to their property. And my road, excuse me, my road, uh, you know, like I would have to let other people access it if they had property that was either they needed it in order to access if i was using if i was blocking their access by claiming that as exclusive usage property but i, I don't have to and so i have a legitimately private road that i built myself and uh you know i built it on other people's property without their permission because that's that's how easements and setbacks work it's not that complicated so i there, there are two things that I, I would like to analyze so would you um, I mean, maybe this is this is just a difference in in how we are defining property. However, I I think with uh, with most people, most libertarians, I believe that I, I would speak to. If I said that, um, even though something is your property, I should have access to to using it in some sense, right? That would that would seem peculiar. Um, that... No, no, but you can't use it to block. Yeah, no, no, it is. You're right to point out that most libertarians don't get to this level either, because most mm -hmm. libertarians haven't bought land or built roads or, or where i would like to where, where i would like to take this is is no of course where i'd like to take this is um what what kind of property am i allowed to have access to without permission so a lot so for example a lot of things um a lot of parts of, of libertarian conception is the idea of self-ownership you, you own your own labor you own your own property surely in 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 this conception where um i can you know uh, in some sense, take benefits from property without asking for permission. Surely, then I can, I can. It, it would be justifiable for me to take the benefits of someone's property in terms of their own labor, which can almost get into an almost a strange slavery justification. Because I would like to ask, what is the, what is, what is the separation between yeah. the two? Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. Why so can't the distinction... I extend these, yeah, this yeah. property to everything else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The distinction is you cannot use your property to impede someone's access or use of their property. 
So like I, it, it's like you know the the simplification of Benjamin Franklin. You know the right to swing my fist ends where, where your nose begins. Well, if I'm just doing this and like rubbing my fist around in front of your face, I'm still I'm still essentially using my property, even without touching yours. You know to interfere with your use of your property, and and that's a violation. And so thinking about it in those terms, rather than you know I am using my am i using my neighbor's property i'm i'm using the access to it but i'm not demeaning the value of it i'm not preventing their use of what they have claimed that's the essential difference there's nothing that i'm doing in the in using this you know edge of land property shared space concept to stop them from using their land as they see fit except you know right so at that edge so in this case, where I'd like to take this next is, um, so it's a good in this point. Example, I like, I like, I saw what I saw what you tried to do there. Thank it's, you. It's very clever. Um, you almost, you almost got me. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Yeah. So in this, so in this example right now, so we we've got to the point where this would be an illegitimate property right to build my wall around around your your your, your the around Gardena. Um, or is it Gardenia or Gardenia? Gardenia. Gardenia. Okay, got like, it. Like the flower. Um, <laughs> so I, I built this one that would be illegitimate. And what I would like to, to move this next to is, okay, sure, fine. We'll take this conception. The wall's not great, but I'm not going to take it down. What are you, are you... So are you justified to use force to get down this wall? If it is, if it is an illegitimate claim of, of property rights, in a sense. Can you use force to stop me? Because, hell, I'm not tearing down my wall. Right. Well, realistically, it, I mean, there are a lot of reasons like this wouldn't happen but giving you the hypothetical of the implausible here you know realistically what would i do uh well by the time you get your wall built out here uh given what i know about this terrain and this space and why it's so awesome to live down three miles of private dirt road and you know how much opposition you'd have from other people we'd probably not even be required to use surface roads, you know, we'd have self-flying cars. So I'd probably say, screw you. I'm just going to innovate mean, and go above the grid. I um, can work around it, though. I'll build a dome. You're going to build, build a dome. dome over my property? I'll build a dome, build... Build a dome then. So you're going to cage me. So like you, you might just want, you might as well just go up to a person and and drop a, a jail cell over them or or handcuff sure. them. I'm pretty sure you're well. the asshole. I'm pretty sure you're the asshole in that circumstance. I'm pretty sure you're imprisoning oh. someone oh. against their I'm will. Definitely, I'm so definitely like, the bad guy. What, but how are you going to stop me? Is what I need. Okay, so like, what would I do? Like, what would I do if I was being mm -hmm. kidnapped or imprisoned? I've built, I've, just in this sense, just I built the dome, and I'm not going to take okay, it down. So, so uh, I mean, there there are a lot of other factors here. So, like, my my drone, you know, taxi answer is actually a pretty serious one to say. You know, well, if there's a peaceful way to sidestep violence or sidestep people who are being assholes or coercive, then, you know, just go around them and keep a smile on your face. You know, I think about that John Lennon quote, you know, they will they will flick your nose and tug your beard and, and do anything to, to make you angry and violent because that they know how to deal with. <laughs> what they don't know how to deal with is kindness and humor and love. And, and I think maintaining that framing would be critical in any such confrontation. And so I, I would that... do my best to, to de-escalate and to communicate and use diplomatic channels and uh, pursue voluntary means. And, uh, you know, if, if that failed, then, then I would probably pursue organized economic activity like boycott uh, of you, your business or, you know, economic ostracization so that you wouldn't be able to, to, to do that. So here at the Garden of Freedom, you know, we have everything we need. We can collect rainwater. Although I guess if you put up a dome, if, it's, if the rain doesn't come through, we might have a problem with that. You know, we can grow dome. our own food. You know, we're, we're happy living off grid here with solar and, and all of that. Um, but, you know, what, what you're talking about here is I'm being attacked by a criminal. I'm being I'm being assaulted. You know, maybe if not my person overall in my life, I am being I'm being caged, and I would just weigh the considerations of that against the immediate reality. You know, like I've been to jail over fifty times. I've been arrested over fifty times. Been to jail a few dozen times in in, in my civil disobedience, as you know, and I've never been like, 
well, I'm starving and I could get out of here really easily and nothing's going to happen if I get out. So I'm going to try to escape. I've literally never tried to escape from jail. Um, I don't think I've ever even tried to escape from police custody. And that's kind of a rare thing where it makes sense to run. You know, there's one evil cop and you're sure you can get away. Otherwise, you submit because there's a bigger gang out there backing up whatever individuals you might be facing, right? So in the case of your wall and your dome cage, if you were to make that for me here, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, as, as a last option or depending on the desperation, I mean, if, I, if, if, we, were, if we were cut off from all food, you know, and, and I was starving, I would, I would break down the wall right away. If, you know, I, if I had the option, I, I would pursue... Uh, as much gradual escalation and, and, and peaceful options as possible. And by peaceful, I don't just mean like, uh, you know, non-confrontational, but not destroying property, because I'm saying that I, I eventually, yes, I would destroy mm -hmm. your illegitimate, okay. your wall Sorry. might be legitimate, but your claim to put it there is not. So yes, I would be uh, reclaiming your illegitimate property claims. Perfect. So what I would like to do now is, so, so to, make, to put that as close as possible, um, eventually... Um, and reluctantly, some force is justified if all else fails in this in this scenario of property. Like when you've tried everything else, sure, well, yeah, and, it's, yeah, yeah. and it's a gradual thing. Like yeah. it's not just it's not your first resort. Cool. Right. Well, yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. I don't, I don't I mean, want to mischaracterize. I, 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 yeah, I believe I believe in self defense, mm -hmm. and I believe you have the right to defend property forcefully if you need to. You know, and and it comes down to defending your own life. And and I think when when we as libertarians talk about defending property. We often go too far in it. One of my, my best friends is, is Mike Nelson. He's a, a disabled a combat veteran, Army Special Forces, who's mostly blind. And he had stuff stolen from his property when he was you know, living near here. And he said, well, it's just stuff. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm not going to hurt somebody. It's not worth the trouble to defend it. It destroys more value. But what if you're, you know, you've got an insulin pump and someone goes to steal your insulin pump and they don't know it, but stealing that insulin pump is the same as stealing your life. Well, yeah, you better defend that the same way you defend your life. And you have the right to do that. So um, I would like to apply this now to what's commonly, the common example of to say that government is, is fundamentally forced. So um, I can't remember where I last, I last heard this, but it's a common argument, which is to say, well, it's pretty easy mm -hmm. to think of government as force. All you need is don't pay your taxes and then keep not paying them. Eventually, a police will turn up your door and then you'll see the gun. You'll see the force, right? All right. What I, what I would like to apply that to is um, in the case of what you're advocating for, there I can follow that same similar line and eventually lead to a conclusion of there is a fundamental need for force um, to, to I, I guess, back this up. Because in the same way that you would categorize a government force, um, but you know, in the in this, you know, in, among several steps, you mean to de to defend property rights and to defend life that that force is necessary. I mean, I would say only circumstantially. You know, like if your life is being threatened, is it is it, you know an immediate danger to life and limb? Is it is it necessary to to defend it? Yeah, but but the ultimate goal. Uh, of libertarianism is is the is that it's not necessary. If you have a voluntary society, no one's rights are being violated. And if there are disputes that you know that we have better mechanisms of dealing with them than than force or violence, which are really born out of you know need and desperation. And, and when we're able to feed everybody on this planet several times over, and governments create artificial famines, then you know we're going to have a much more prosperous world without this forced uh scarcity that we experience today so the desperation and the turn to violence will be you know minimal or, or insignificant what i'm trying to get to here is that there is in in this case a core element of force in some sense because um i think that you know whilst the dome is slightly ridiculous it's very reasonable in these examples for there to be especially when you know, in the case of the road, you do it on other people's property. There's very, there could very easily be disputes on these property rights, and I think it's very, and I think it's reasonable to, um, that, or at least it's, it's feasible that there would be these sort of disputes along this line. You know, less ridiculous mm -hmm. than dome, but along these things. So, do you really think that this, 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 even though you know, coercion it, it is less of a factor, what you really care about, you know, peace and and a lack of force. Is that really being solved? Because at the core of it, I would still argue that a, a fundamental, um, I guess, core of force. 
or of violence in a, in a necessity of the system in which that you're, you're you're advocating for. Oh, I understand what you're saying that the system I'm advocating for justifies defensive force, but it doesn't justify offensive force. So if no offensive force is being applied, no defensive force is necessary. What exactly was the question, though? So, but um, I'll put it a bit more specifically. So, in the case of the wall or the dome or whatever, whatever we're you know we're gonna gonna have in this case, sure. right? Um, like I asked earlier when I said that, do you think that there can be coercion without a direct relationship, without a you know a gun to your head in this sense, right? Um, right. One of could argue that. Yeah, one could argue that um, in the case of the dome or the wall, um, I'm letting some rainwater in. You've got your crops and stuff like that. But you still, you just, you can't get out because this is still my my property. There is not a direct coercion. Well, I'm the, not the, saying the, 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 the dome over my property can't be your property. Okay, or at least it's a it's a very high wall, so the rain could still come in, and you still got sunlight, you still grow crops and stuff, but you can't right. get out. Um, th- you yeah, you're still making you can, you're I, still making a jail. I, I, that's not a legitimate. Hmm property rights claim so your use of uh, your property is unethical it would be a your use of your property denies me access to my property which means that it's not legitimate it's a violation of the non-aggression principle but so do you but do you really think that um in this case that that your goal of reducing force and harm and you know in, you know it, i think i believe the quote on the website was more peaceful productive and harmonious mm-hmm. do you think that this is actually a, a a feasible way to to go about reaching this conclusion because i i would argue it's relatively feasible to see these cases of property disputes becoming violent without um someone to enforce this you know the the, the respect of this property law you know i think that i could make a reasonable argument in terms of my wall uh, uh, you know from 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 john Locke, for example i could very easily make a Lockean mm-hmm. argument for my wall around the garden of freedom right well um well- but what I but then what I would what I would ask is do you do you think that do do you not see problems in this in this you know project in main in achieving your ultimate goal in terms of peace or harmony? Do I think that rejecting violence is going to lead to less violence? Yes, I do. Uh, yes, I believe that uh, embracing ethics is going to lead to a more ethical society than not embracing ethics. Yes, I believe that respect for the non-aggression principle is going to lead to a less aggressive society. Now, what you're saying is that you would like to make the the, reasonable argument for a a more assertively violent system, coercive system, in order to have an overall reduction in, in coercion. And I would say that's not reasonable at all. That's a kind of, you know, the ends justify the means argument. And all mm-hmm. of those are invalid. They are easily deconstructed as, as full of fallacies. So just to say that, you know, we, we need some violence to prevent other violence, you know, if it's not, and, and when I say that, I'm, I'm using in the aggressive and the mm-hmm. coercive sense, as you are obviously not defensive uh, violence. No, I think it's uh, absurd on its face. But more importantly, if, if you look at human history, we are getting less violent over time. We are getting better able to settle disputes without violence. We are reducing the human desperation that encourages violence, hunger and, and starvation and, and your deprivation of, of basic human needs, water and, and clothing and, and shelter, things like that. And in doing so, we see over the course of human history, violence coming down very, very, very consistently. And we are living today in the most peaceful times in human history because you are less likely today than ever before to experience violence at the hands of another human being. I don't see those trends reversing uh, in, in any meaningful way. Those are all very much connected to, to human progress, to development of ideas and technology and connectedness, and, and essentially being able to live in, in greater love. Uh, but to your, your specific problem, you know, this is like the justification for the police force. We need the police to keep us safe from robbers and thieves. And it's like, wait a second. First of all, they're the ones 
robbing you on behalf of government. They are the tax collectors. They are the tax enforcers. Whether it's the cops on the beat or IRS special agents or whatever it is, don't pay your taxes. See who enforces the law, right? See who comes and takes your stuff. But that like, hey, when seconds count, police are just minutes away. Police don't actually provide any legitimate protection that way. Systems that are coercive never, I mean, what, why do we have the police? I, I mean, it was I run, runaway slaves busting unions. That's like, that's where it came from. So like, why would you want a, another system based on that initiation of force to somehow limit it? No, it's not, it's not so, a reasonable argument. I hate to jump in, but on that point of, you know, tax being theft, and in the case of, you know, the, the police are the enforcers in, in, in this sense, not something that I, I, I definitely, um, I'd most likely agree with, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I, for, for disclosure, people watching, um, I'm left libertarian generally, so I'm, I'm the anarcho libertarian side of it. So the left side of it. Um, so we kind of agree. Um, but anyway, so on the point of taxes theft, right? I, you know, I feel like that was the argument where you, where you lead back the line, and eventually you get to force, even though that in theory, the, you know, in in theory, the money is doing oh, yeah, good. Uh, by the way, Hugh, you're doing a very good job asking questions to represent the more mainstream left, and I appreciate the challenge. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what was I going to say? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the argument there is obviously you you, you have your um, you have your the, the point is that tax is theft. It's ultimately force. You follow back the line. Eventually, you're going to see the force, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that argument can be perfectly applied to the Garden of Freedom, where if these certain things don't happen, or or you know, say I want to build a road through it. And you don't like that, or or any of these cases, there is this still a fundamental threat of force required to have these property rights that you would con that you consider to be you know ethically important. Defensive I don't force think is that, not but, a threat. But if I, I say, but, hey, if you try to if you come at me with a knife, I'm going <laughs> to shoot you. Is that a threat, or that's just me I mean, explaining my defense policy? I'm it's not practically a threat. You're no, no. You're threatening me in that situation. Let's be real about where the threat's coming from. By saying, I will defend my life, I'm not making a threat. The person who is necessitating me to assert that, that's the threat. But what, what I'm trying to, to point it out is that I think that um, it's reasonable to suggest that there would be differences in opinion or differences in or at least conception of property rights i think that i think that's sure. reasonable oh yes absolutely yeah, yeah right? i think a lot of libertarians forget that property rights exist mm. by social consensus if i may i think this point yes. might help understand how i apply this step yeah stepping back for a second right like i have a right to equitable access to natural resources as a human being i can go out here and, and even though i had to pay for this land I can buy 10 acres, I can put up a fence around it, I can see the whole thing, I can reasonably say that I'm using it and know that in today's America, that's generally gonna be respected. But if I go to Wyoming and put up a fence around a million acres and just post machine guns at the corners and say, I own all this because I say so, that doesn't meet the Lockean criteria of homesteading of legitimately mixing your labor with natural resources. So how much, right? If, if I put up a fence around a million acres, uh, so I can't read that. Two trees of government, John Locke. Oh yes, yes, yes. That's, it's, that's very important foundational text. Uh, very important to human progress when it was, when it was uh, paid attention to. Um, so, you know, what is, you know, sufficient mixing your labor with the soil? What constitutes abandoning property what, that makes it open for homesteading? You know, all of these things are actually done by social consensus. And, and it's really important to understand that that social consensus is a, is, is a voluntary market function that is, is you know, not an absolute, uh, you know, capitalist concept of property rights where, you know, because you have the government title, it's yours or. I should say that makes it a, a statist, corporatist concept of property rights. So, yeah, really examining property as a, as a construct of social consent is, is, is absolutely critical. So um, I'm sure we, we could have a very long conversation about Locke. I've read a lot of Locke and I really enjoy his stuff. And um, I'd love to make some sort of video again in the future of talking about just Locke. That would be incredible. Um, uh. <laughs> but on, on my on 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 to this specific issue, right? I, I, I feel like 
um, there is still this core requirement or fundamental nature of force in what you're advocating for. I, I, I feel like there is, I, I, I think there is, along the same lines as the taxes theft and government as force argument, I think that that can be applied in this case where enough things happen. Mm. There can be these property disputes, like I said, you know, it's reasonable to say that people would disagree on what acquires them or not. So, it, it, okay, so I think it is expected it's, it's, that so there would be that there would be these these disputes which would ultimately lead to force, which you do believe is justified in terms of threatening and illegitimate property right. rights. Right. So, so it's, the question is, what's an ethical use of force? You know, you say, well, my system is creating the necessity of a use of force. No, it mm -hmm. is not. It is examining the natural reality of a victim responding to an attacker. If a mountain lion comes and tries to attack me here on my property here, I'm going to use force to defend myself against the mountain lion and not say uh, that my system of defending my life requires force and therefore it's not legitimate. But what what I would what I'm trying to um, point out is so in specifically the case of you know you've acknowledged that it would be very it'd be very feasible to, for people to have different conceptions of what is a reasonable claim to property rights. I could make a reasonable argument from John Locke's work that my wall is fine, right? I think that's I think that's reasonable. There's always be disputes. Well, that but would be an appeal think... to authority, and that's another logical fallacy. You shouldn't appeal to John Locke, but to use his logic and reasoning no, but... to examine what is a legitimate property claim. I mean, and again, as I explained earlier, if you claim property that excludes someone else's or impedes someone else's use of their property. That is not a legitimate property rights claim. You keep going back to this as, well, what if my wall is legit? Your wall is not legitimate in my property rights matrix. I'm sorry. I do not consent to, to your right to use your property to, to impede my use the same way I wouldn't accept you to say that you have a right to punch me in the face. That's, that's exactly what I'm working with because that is your, that's your, you know, as your nation state, Gardenia, um, I need to hear the national anthem at some point as well, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be the best, I promise. Oh, I can't wait. Um, so you, under your, your sovereign state, the, you recognize these property rights. Um, but in my sovereign state, in this wall, this is the way you acquire property rights. And we could have that, that, that disagreement, right? But what I'm saying is it, it, you can have a small disagreement, but it would eventually lead to a forceful uh, okay. conflict. Okay, no, no, no. So, so let me address it Which is why I believe that it is in some sense yeah. core. Right. Uh, so there's a sort of universality of the human experience that is underpinning this entire conversation that, you know, we are independent consciousnesses in, in our own bodies and we all want certain things. We all need certain things. We all want to be respected in our rights, to have our individual will respected. We all want to be able to, to, breathe clean air and drink clean water and eat healthy food and have healthy relationships and love in our lives. You know, these are all basic, you know, human realities that, that kind of unite us that are underpinning even this concept of locking in property rights of, of claiming land or claiming natural resources or using natural resources to meet those needs in some way. So, if you say, well, I'm going to impose my own view over here, I'm sovereign, I'm doing this, you know, you can, you can physically do that, but there's still, you're still part of a society. You're still part of, you, you know, if you want to build a wall around your property and wall yourself off, you know, you can do that. But if you're trying to wall someone else off and create a prison for someone, is it required to prevent that? And isn't force required to enshrine these property rights? Well, no. Force is an option in defending them. It's usually not the best option, but it's the first one that the government turns to, which is why I want something better that leads to more nonviolent solutions, that leads to more dispute resolution services, that leads to more peaceful arbitration, that leads to more community-based restorative justice systems. So in this world where we're not dependent on government for dispute resolution, and you decide that you, Hugh, you're going to be the asshole, we have better ways of dealing with you non-violently yeah, every day. No, we have, I know, I get, I get, I get the game you're playing here. No, no, no I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, but, but, uh, you know, no, if, if, if you're, and, and I appreciate it for the sake of, you're making my job a lot easier in the conversation, <laughs> but I can say you're the asshole in your example, right? And so 
instead of just some abstract asshole. <laughs> we're, we're dealing with a very concrete... A very real, specific, specific asshole. asshole. Yes, exactly. Quite <laughs> uh, so, no, I, I think in, in that situation, in fact, I really, I know that this trend of human progress is going to continue and that respect for human rights and settling disputes by more peaceful means is one of the most essential dynamics of human progress and localization and embracing a, a consistent concept of, of ethics based on self-ownership is critical to, to continuing that progress. So whilst I'm sure we could talk about this for hours upon hours, we are unfortunately running out of time. So um, what I've got here is I've got a list of things that I'm going to tell people to check out. First of these is uh, Adam Kokesh on Twitter. Um, the Adam Kokesh YouTube channel. Um, the link for the book will be in the description. The Facebook page for the Garden of Freedom. Um, oh, God, a million other things. Check out, is it Jorgensen, the libertarian presidential candidate? The, what's is that Jorgensen, her name? yes. Jorgensen, yes. yeah. Jorgensen, check, yeah. Check, check her out. Your, your official endorsement was recent. Yes. Slightly less European pronunciation on that. Ah, Jorgensen. Okay, I, I can't help myself. Um, so, Adam, would you like to have a, a final, a final message to those watching? Yeah, well, thank you, Hugh, for this opportunity and for the technical difficulties that the audience isn't going to experience because you're such a good editor and I'm such a smooth. <laughs> oh no! Those pranks. But uh, yeah, and 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 for bearing with me with my phone overheating and being flexible, and and really for having a, a good, stimulating, challenging conversation. But to your audience, if if you've enjoyed this, if you've made it all the way through this conversation, uh, I would I would hope that you can put your money where your mouth is, or rather where your eyes and ears are and support you with this production, support independent media. I'm a huge tech optimist, but I know that the technology means nothing without deliberate conscientious use. And to make independent media possible, it's not just having YouTube and the internet, it means having an active and engaged audience. So I hope you'll share this and support independent media in whatever way is best for you. And thanks again, Hugh, for making this possible. And to everybody who supports what I do and makes what I do with Adam versus the man possible, my main website is thefreedomline.com. If anybody wants to visit us here at the Garden of Freedom, and, uh, you know, I mean, I can give 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 like a quick out the window <laughs> oh, tour oh, here. Please do. I, I got I, I to at least turn up the brightness on my phone. <laughs> and then turn my camera around here. So if anybody okay. wants to join us out here, uh, you can send me an email. It's Adam. So, um, that's, where the, that's where the wall's going to be, by the way. Just right there, yeah. by those yeah, trees. You better, you better get in here before Hugh builds his wall around us. <laughs> There's the us. dome! In here. There's, there is a 128-foot dome that we're working on building into a house. All sorts of beautiful trees out here in the mountains. Got a few other experimental buildings and i even see my my shipping container and other fun <laughs> stuff out there and my survival trees um anyway there's so much cool stuff out here and 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 what we're doing really is about uh, cultivating conscientious living and, and and it means reconsidering your life from the ground up, not accepting any assumptions or preconceived notions about where you should live or go to school or work or who you should live with or what you should wear or what you should eat or where you should get it, but to reconsider all of these things from the ground up with freedom in mind and living in an ethical way where you're not supporting an evil system in any kind of or any more than you absolutely have to really and and living a better life and, and helping make the world a better place so adam at the freedomline.com again hugh thank you very much brother all those links will be in the description thank you so much all the best to you